Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. We continue our series today, Fan Favorites, as we hear an inspiring message from our executive pastor, Justin Frazier, and how we can deal with fear. If you missed today's Bible study, be sure to join us next time, Tuesday at 6 a.m. at Cottonwood Creek Church in Allen, Texas. Now, let's hear from Justin Frazier. Hey, this is awesome, right? We love to see you guys meeting and fellowshipping. That's, that's what this is for. And so I hate to break it up, but I'm going to anyways, because we've got a lot to cover. Uh, glad that you are here this morning. So if you were in church on Sunday, John Mark brought an, an awesome message about Jonathan and the courage it took out of 1 Samuel 14. And so Sunday, I kind of changed the whole direction that I was preparing for for this morning, and I'm really going to jump off of there. So it, it stands alone, so if you, if you didn't hear it, you're still okay. But let me encourage you, if you're either listening online or uh, here and you did not, you weren't in church on Sunday, go online and listen to it. It's on YouTube, it's on Cottonwood TV, you can find it anywhere. It, it was really good, all right? And I think you'll be encouraged and challenged by it as well. But just as kind of a backdrop to, to uh, what was going on in chapter 14, is you had Jonathan, right, the son of Saul, who looked around and he sees these Philistines, right? He sees them taking up, there's a ton of them. And they're taking up these offensive areas close to the Israelites. And he knows that the Lord wants them to prevail. And so he, without telling his dad, he talks to his armor bearer and says, hey, come on, let's go up there and see if the Lord's going to hand them into our, our hand. And so he's, he's being proactive. He's trying to be obedient to what the Lord has for him. And so he goes. And what, what's really cool about this story is that there's five different groups in here. And we can, at different times and different seasons of our lives, we can really uh, align or we can, we can make a, a, a direct connection to where we are in our lives. Because sometimes we're acting boldly, like Jonathan, and we're on the charge for what the Lord's called for us to do, and man, we're all in. And that's kind of what his armor bearer was. So there's Jonathan. His armor bearer wasn't the instigator, but he was all in supporter, right? He said, my heart's with you. He said, okay, if that's what the Lord's called us to do, let's go. And he was the supporter. He didn't, just those two, right, against the Philistines, it could have cost them their life. There was no reservation. So he was totally on board supporting. Then you got Jonathan's dad. Saul, King Saul. And it says that he's uh, relaxing at a pomegranate cave, whatever that means. So he and his army, so here's the leader of the army and the army that's supposed to be fighting this war, and they're just chilling. They're nice and comfortable, just kind of hanging out, seeing what's going on. And then it says that you have these, uh, these Hebrews who were with the Philistines. So we don't know for sure, were they former captives and they're just in captivity there? Or did they voluntarily join them? They said, hey, that's too much. I'm just going to surrender, right, and give up. It's better to be with them than to be dead. And then it said that you also had these men of Israel that hid themselves in the hill country. So you have these five different groups of people. They didn't want anything to do, right? They're just, I'm out. I'm just going to duck in here and see what happens when it's over. Um, but the last three of those, you had King Saul that was comfortable and you had the, the Hebrews that were with the the Philistines, and then you had the, the men of Israel that were in the country. And they, were, they all let fear control their life in some way or another. All right? Fear is an is a issue that we struggle with um, all the time. So much so that if you look in Scripture between, you know, fear not or do not fear, all these different variations of fear, it said that it's listed 365 times in Scripture. Why is that? That's one for every day of the year. The Lord knew that we would struggle with fear. 
And so every single one of us can relate one word. It, it, that's a powerful world, word, a lot of different manifestations. If you look it up in the dictionary, it says, fear is an unpleasant, unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. So we have all this fear that, that, that gets in our way of our relationship with the Lord and also in our way of, of being obedient to God's calling in our life. But there is one kind of healthy fear, right? That's the fear of the Lord, that we are commanded to, to fear Him, to be in awe of who God is. This is this holy reverence, if you will, that the God who spoke the world into creation. So He's sovereign over all. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's eternal. There's no beginning or end. He's omnipresent. So uh, having a fear of, of the Lord, in fact, uh, Ecclesiastes 12 and we're going to have a lot of uh, scriptures here, so we'll see if Hill House can stay awake long enough to, to stay up with us. What? Uh, because 365 references, it's not hard to find scriptures on this topic. But Ecclesiastes 12 talks about the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That keeps us, fear does a lot of things, right? It keeps you from sin, but it also provides a healthy perspective. When we truly understand who God is... It kind of eliminates all other types of fear. There's no need to fear anyone else if you know who the Lord is, who's sovereign and powerful over all, right? And that there's nothing that surprises Him. And then if we are His, so it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's almost a, you've got an identity issue of whose we are, we're His, and then also perspective of who God is, then there's no other fear that, that's needed. And then Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, that's, that's the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of wisdom is to understand who the Lord is. Apart from that, you're going to get off track. If you stay there in that vein, everything else falls into, into place. And it also uh, kind of fuels the flame of our worship, right? When you understand how amazing God is and, and how amazing His love is for us despite all of our imperfections, everything else, it, it's, it's like that old hymn that says, you know, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The more we focus on Him, it puts everything else in proper perspective. So, um, you know, one of the things I love about Scripture is that it doesn't sugarcoat things, right? You have some amazing heroes of the Bible, and we see them screw up things and make some monster mistakes, royal. Even, even to the point you got all the Old Testament stuff, but then even the, the apostles who walked and talked and, and were with Christ, and they saw all the miracles, they heard all the teachings, and then, man, as soon as He goes to the cross, they're gone. In fear, right? I mean, how, how does that happen? It, it, sometimes people will say, you know, if I just had a personal encounter with Jesus, if he would just make himself here, everything else would be, no. Look throughout Scripture. That's not how it works. Okay? So what I thought we'd do this morning is that we would take um, a couple different examples out of Scripture. I'm going to hit on a few topics that are common on where we encounter fear. And then we're going to look at some examples of that in Scripture, and then also the proper response to it. All right, because Scripture is full with with what we should be, how we should handle uh, fear. And so, but before we start, I want you to kind of begin with the end in mind, okay? Because as we're talking through these things, this is not just an intellectual exercise, right? We're not trying to make smarter sinners. So, how do I want you to not only listen to the Scripture, but I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Where is it in your life? Each of us have areas of our life we have not fully surrendered to Jesus. We just haven't. And usually it's rooted in fear. And it was really neat if you were in the sermon how John Mark tied even pride. Saul's pride was rooted back to fear. And so whatever it is that you're encountering, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, where 
am I not living the way I'm supposed to be? Because here's the reality, guys. Partial obedience is disobedience. Right? God doesn't grade on a curve. We all battle fear. I battle it. You battle it. Uh, and so here's what God's looking for. He's looking for hearts that are fully surrendered to Him, whose priorities should match His priorities, whose treasure is in Him. And then who allow the Holy Spirit to conform us in the image of His Son. So here's, that's what we're going to get to at the end. I want to, we're going to personal, uh, make personal application and figure out what is the Lord calling us to do. But we're going to jump in. The first fear that I came up with was uh, a fear of others' opinions. And this can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But here's why I want to jump in. In John 9, uh, Jesus heals a blind man. Okay, and He also did it on the Sabbath. Makes the Pharisees really mad. Uh, and so they start questioning the blind man and then go to the parents. And I want to, uh, it's just, this, this story struck me. There's actually, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, if you go to 1 Samuel 15, so the chapter after it, Saul d- totally disobeys the Lord because he, and he literally says, because I was afraid of men. Because he, the Lord said, I want you to kill everything. And instead he, he brings the king and the, brings the best of the animals and said, well, I'm going to sacrifice because that's what the people want. The fear of man, the fear of others' opinions drives us constantly. But I want you to see this, because this is a relationship between a parent and a child, which I think we can really relate to. All right, picking up in uh, John 9, verses 18. said, the Jews did not believe, so these are the Pharisees, that that this man had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know, for we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Here's the the backdrop. It says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So, in the midst of this miraculous healing of their son, how long do you think parents were praying for their son to be healed? Right? Absolutely. Their whole life. Right? That's the desire of their heart. And yet, when it happens, they can't enjoy it. They can't celebrate it. They can't give glory to God because they're so afraid of the opinions of the, of the rest of the Jews. They don't want to be put out of the synagogue. They're like, I don't know. You know, I don't know who did it. I don't know how he did it. They're totally distancing themselves from the whole situation. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to be judgmental and say, boy, those, those people are idiots. I would never do that. Well, it may look differently in our lives. Maybe it's in the office, right? Maybe we, we don't talk about Jesus or we don't make a stand because we don't want to be known as one of those radical Christian freaks, right? How about a little bit more personal? How many of us don't lead out spiritually in the home because we know that our family knows that we haven't always lived up to what we believe, right? We haven't always walked the way that Jesus walked, did what he did. They, our family knows our flaws, and so we don't lead out spiritually because we're afraid of what they might think or what they might say, right? Happens all the time. Maybe you just simply shy away from engaging someone in a conversation about where they are spiritually or even inviting them to church Man, I don't know what they'd think. What if they ask me something I don't know? There's so many different scenarios where our fear of others comes in, into play. And I could have pulled a bunch of different examples from Scripture. Think about Moses in the burning bush, right? When God calls him, he says, uh, uh, what if they ask me who sent me, you know, or I don't talk good or something like that. And then uh, how about the, the Pharisees themselves? 
Think about these folks were so religious. How many of y'all can recite the Ten Commandments in order? Right? They had 613 laws that they lived to. And so they worked so hard to have righteousness seen by others. They were so concerned about what others thought and how they perceived them. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, right? They looked so pretty on the outside, totally dead on the inside. They missed the whole point. And even Peter, when, you're, when he's, uh, we could have done at the, at the uh, cross, I chose the, the uh, walking on water, not because it was others' opinions, but the same principle. It says when he was walking on water, he said he saw the wind around him. When we start taking our eyes off of Jesus and looking around people around us, that's when we get in trouble, right? And that's when the fear came over him. And so how do we get through this? We talked about it a little bit. It's a matter of perspective and identity, knowing who God is and knowing whose we are. The question is, do you live as a child of the king? We already talked about how amazing God is. I think sometimes we forget that we're his children, right? And this is not an area of pride. It comes with privileges, right? When you're a child of the king, it also comes with the responsibilities. It's not that you're going to look on as everyone as peasants and treat them as such, oh, you know. It's not a class tier structure. It's realizing that every other person was created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and that Christ died to have a relationship with them. And so I think it's, uh, we need to make sure that we understand that being a member of God's family changes everything. Ephesians 3. Oh, I just skip one. Ephesians 2 first, yeah, because I, I want to get to Ephesians 3. So Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and all a member of His household. All right? That's who you are. It changes everything. Your relationship with Christ, you are now a child of the living God. We talked about how amazing God was. He, he says you're a member of his household. That changes everything. And then Paul builds on that, and I love how he, he keeps going. So then jumping over to the next chapter in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. All right, so God, Paul builds on that. He says, okay, now you're a member of the family. Let me tell you what this is. Let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you how he fills you and empowers you to do what he's called you to do. It's just so cool. And what is? What's the mission? Right? I'm going to jump over to 2 Corinthians 5. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So God has given us both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. That, that's, where we, that's who we are. Right? Why did God not rapture us, take us up to heaven the minute we were saved? Because we are His plan, His ambassadors to a lost and dying world. Okay? He's not done. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not done. That's just the beginning of an eternal relationship. And so, I th but there's a way that he has us to do this, right? We talk about uh, you're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect, speaking the truth in love. And so like John Mark, he, he mentioned that we should have a plan, right? We should be intentional about it. It's not something that we react to in the moment. It's something that we are. We are on mission. We are equipped. It says that he's given us the Holy Spirit. And then we'd live it out. We look for opportunities. We're sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Okay, so that's, that's opinions of others. I know I'm just hitting them fast because uh, I, I need to build on this. But the next one, I think, is one that we can all relate to, too. It's fear of persecution. <laughs> and we can define that. You know, what does persecution mean? Because especially in today's day and age, you look across the world, that's real persecution. You know, they're, they're, they're being killed, tortured, 
just trying to force people to denounce their relationship with Christ. Houses burned, uh, people taken into slavery. I'm going to lead with Stephen, which may be an interesting choice for you. He was one of the first deacons, right? And he's, Scripture says he was full of grace and power. He was doing these, these wonders and signs. He was being obedient to what God had called him to be, right? He was saved, and then he was uh, kind of ordained as a deacon and said, all right, go, go do this. And so he was just doing what God had called him to do. Right? And then all these people started coming around him, all these religious elite, and started making false accusations. And so they end up getting him in trouble, pulling him before the, the high priest. And, and what's interesting about this is, so Stephen didn't initiate this, right? It wasn't like he was preaching against the Pharisees that we see in Scripture. He wasn't making fun of them or picking a fight. He gets dragged before the high priest, and they demand that he renounce Christ. And, and so here's what he does. He says, all right, you want to know the truth, I'll give you the truth. And literally, if you go back, go read uh, Acts 7, because I, I didn't put all these verses in there. The first 50 verses of Acts 7 are Stephen just giving it to him, just laying out. All right, you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. And it is awesome. All right, but I pick up in verse 51, and let's just, let's just see what, what uh, Stephen has to say. Here he goes. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. It's <laughs> a pretty good start, huh? And he says, as your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And did they kill the, those who announced beforehand and the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered? You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. All right, so he's, he's just, he's giving it to them. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out before the city and stoned him. And their witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we later know as Paul, right? And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So why do I pick the story? By worldly accounts, Stephen lost. This is a terrible example of persecution, right? Because all he did is try to be obedient to Christ, and it cost him his life. You know, a couple things you want to note from the story. Verse 55 says that he saw Jesus standing, right? That was Jesus, even though he didn't use words, was saying, you know what? I'm standing in your honor. Well done, my good and faithful servant, right? And then you look down at the end, and like Christ, he said, hey, don't hold this sin against it. Why, how could Stephen possibly do that? Because his treasure was planted firmly in heaven. Does that make sense? It wasn't about how long can I live, how comfortable can I live, you know, how much can I get, and how much can I enjoy, um, you know, Scripture's filled with examples of persecution. Think about Joseph. His brothers were jealous of him, sold him into slavery. He didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife, so Potiphar had accused him and threw him in, into jail. He tried to be faithful in jail. He, he interpreted dreams for the cupbearer and the, and the baker, and they just left him there to rot. I mean, that's, that's part of it. John the Baptist, who Jesus said, of those born to man, there is none greater. What did he do besides live in the wilderness and then Herod killed him because he told him that he shouldn't take his brother's wife, right? Um, and then don't forget about Paul. Paul's a hero of the faith. We all want to be like Paul, right? Well, we forget that little section in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to start in verse 24. I'm going to skip the first couple of verses. But here's what he says of his experience. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, right? So 
tearing up the, the skin on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Okay, that's, that's the actual rocks. That's not like today's stone. Just make sure you clarify that. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was just floating adrift in the sea. Uh, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the dench house. So pretty much everybody hated Paul, right? Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. So even those that claimed to believe like Paul still persecuted him. In toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. That's persecution. He suffered greatly for the God that he believed in because he came face to face with Jesus. Right? And so how do we get to then Paul in, in Philippians 1 when he's in the jail and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he knew where his flag was planted and he said, anything that happens here is for the glory of Christ. And then to die is gain. You finally get the realization of everything that you were created for. Right? God created us, and so every hope, desire, dream that you have can be found and rooted in Him. And what's so amazing by this is that because God has already, Jesus conquered death when He rose again from the, from the grave, the worst thing, quote unquote, that can happen to us on earth is then immediately followed by the best thing. It's what we were created for. And so, you know, our last breath on earth followed by our first breath in heaven. Right? Or a scripture uh, would quote it. It would say, you guys finished the end of this. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? That's what scripture says. And so he, he's already promised to take care of us. And it's all about priorities. Because this is where it comes down. How do we view, have a proper viewpoint of, of persecution? If you go to Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is truly in the Lord, it changes your perspective on everything else. And it's easy for us to say that, but we don't always live it. In fact, I would say most of the time we don't live it. We go to great lengths to be comfortable. In fact, the small g God um, in our society today is probably comfort. That's, that's, that's what we strive for. We want to be comfortable financially. We want to be comfortable relationally. We want to be comfortable socially. We want to be comfortable physically. That's what we strive for. That's what we fight so hard to protect. It's like we think that this is all there is and we'll do whatever we can to protect it. That's how we live. So is our treasure really in heaven or is our treasure here with kind of what we experience now? Because that's how we live. Like this is all there is. There's so much that Scripture says about... Um, Persecution, but let me just hit three really quick rapid fire. Here's Jesus in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Okay, so he's saying, don't be surprised. Here we go. This is, this is going to happen. First John 3, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Okay, so you see all this continued pattern. Second Timothy, Paul pretty much lays it out. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, that pretty much captures you. If you are trying to follow Christ, you will be persecuted. And if you're not, are you really following Christ? Here's one more example I thought was really cool. In Acts 5, we have a picture of the disciples. And so they're out proclaiming God, or Jesus crucified and resurrected. And then all of a sudden, um, the high priest gets jealous, has them locked up in prison. 
That night, an angel comes and he lets him out. Right? He says, go back preaching in the town square and then we're going we're gonna to keep going. So the, uh, the high priest, the next morning, he gathers the council says, bring those disciples in here and they're not there. They have to go find them in the town square. They finally get them. They bring them back uh, in there and they're, and they're deciding, should we kill them? And they decide, no, let's, let's just beat them. And, uh, and then we'll threaten them, and hopefully they'll stop preaching about Jesus. And here's that account in, the last, in Acts 5, verses 40 42. It says, When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, get this, here's the highlight, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy. We try so hard to avoid persecution you look at those early disciples, they were so thrilled that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Vastly different perspective. And then, let's see how it, how it continued. In verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching about Christ, that, that, teaching that Christ is Jesus. So not only did they rejoice, then after the threats that said, you could be killed, they said, we're good with that. We're being obedient. Okay? Totally different perspective. Sometimes I wonder how we could get it so wrong. How can we have this perspective? We try so hard to avoid anything that threatens our comfort, even at the expense of our obedience to the Lord. Fear of persecution. Okay, last one. I titled this Fear of Not Being Saved. So it's not a fear of salvation, but I think a lot of people, when it comes down to it, they're not certain that God is who He says He is, and that our, our salvation, our position, our eternal uh, security is as secure as, as it says in Scripture. It's ironclad. If you're in Christ, man, you're, you're once saved, always saved. I'll tell you why, and we'll get to some Scriptures. It's because God does the saving. We had nothing to contribute to it. And so here I thought, you know what? Let's look at Judas, a very unlikely character. Sometimes I, I think we, we get so comfortable with making Judas the outcast that we don't really look at his life. So real quickly, not only is he a disciple, he's an apostle, which means he was with Jesus, right? He saw all the miracles. He heard all the teaching. He was with Jesus all the time. And then here's the thing that sometimes we miss. Matthew 10, 1, I don't think I have this in here, says that they gave them authority to cast out, the apostles did, uh, to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. So we would assume that Judas had the ability to do that too. He's, I mean, you want to talk about having every reason to not miss Jesus. And yet Scripture clearly shows that he did. He, he did all the things. He checked all the boxes. Um, you know, you get to John 12, it talks about how he was stealing money from the treasury. He, he held the money for the disciples. Who do you give money to? Somebody you trust. Okay? It's not like they suspected that he was off. In John 13, in the upper room, when they're starting to talk about, you know, uh, Jesus prophesies that someone's going to betray him. Did the disciples all said, oh yeah, I always thought that Judas was kind of off. No, they all said, Lord, is it I? It wasn't that they even suspected Judas. So by all external accounts, Judas was just like everyone else. But it wasn't in his heart. In fact, if you look through Scripture, while the other disciples will refer to Jesus as Lord, Judas always says, Rabbi, teacher. Big difference. Okay? There's a big difference in believing that and believing in. So Matthew 26, this is just uh, this is an example of, of, of that, says in verse 20, 
when it was evening, he, who is Jesus, uh, was reclining at the, with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say after one another, Is it I, Lord? So here you see this. This is one example in Scripture. All the disciples say, Lord, that's how they refer to Jesus, is it I? And then verse 23, he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man was betrayed. It would have been better for that man to have not been bored. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? It's different. And Jesus said, You have said so. You've probably heard this. Uh, it's said that especially in, in uh, America, where you know, we have Christian roots, and there's been so many people who have been Christians over the years, that if people are going to spend eternity in hell, most of them are going to miss it by about 18 inches, right? The distance from their head to their heart, meaning they've heard about it. They just haven't accepted it. They never put their faith and trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, right? We see that in James 2, 19. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's not enough to believe that. Christ came to believe that there is a God, believing in, right? Putting your faith and trust. It's, it's that Lord. Uh, you know, Jesus warned about this in several places. Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You know, this is a, an area where that we gloss over sometimes. You ever wondered, what if Jesus said that to us? He could. There's many areas of our lives, men, where God has called us to do something. We don't. He said, why do you call me Lord? What's the definition of a Lord? Somebody that has complete control, right, that we sur fully surrender to. So why do you call me Lord and then not do what I tell you? Do you love one another? Do you serve one another? Are you making disciples? I mean, just look throughout Scripture. That's a tough one. Matthew 7 talks about similar things. It says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, this is in the, uh, in the sense that he, they're using the name as a title, not in a personal relationship, right? Uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because he says, one who does the will of my Father. So, once again, it's, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? It says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, right? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not do these things, prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do mighty works in your name. Those are all good things. But if it's apart from relationship with the Lord, they're worthless, right? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you, Justin talked about membership workshop a little bit ago. If you've ever attended, we talk about the most important thing, our relationship with Christ. That's where we start. We talk about the church and the history and what does it mean to be a member. But you could come, you could attend worship faithfully, you could join a life group, you could serve, you could even give uh, and go on a mission trip. But if you don't know the Lord... You're not going to heaven. It's all about a relationship with Christ. That's the thing that matters. And so that's, that's the bad news we've got to talk about first. You can't be good enough. You can't. You can't do enough good things where God says, oh, he's pretty good, I'll let you in. You can't memorize enough scripture, right, to, to know a secret passcode getting into the pearly gates. You can't give everything that you have to buy your way into heaven, right? I'm not trying to tell you this to make you feel bad. I'm telling you that you are bad and in need of a Savior. Does that make sense? None of us can be good enough. Apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, none of us have the right to have a relationship with God. And here, that's what Jesus wants. He wants our whole heart. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
And he wants the Holy Spirit to continue to do this work in your life. And so how do we do that? We confess. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Right? We repent, literally turning away from sin, turning towards God. We believe. Right? Confess. Romans 10.9 talks about that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's, that's putting your faith and trust in the redemptive work of Jesus. And then you receive that free gift of salvation. And it's just the beginning it's of an eternal relationship God wants to have with you. It's, it's so amazing. God, Ecclesiastes 3.10, I don't think I put this in there either, says that God, uh, there's a whole, uh, God put eternity, said eternity in the heart of man. God has this, if you may have heard this uh, hole in your heart, right, that only he can fill. And we try to fill it with everything, with success, with drugs. All right, rain's here. It's good. We try to fill this with relationships, with whatever, money, comfort, and we can't. Nothing ever lasts. Nothing's ever good enough. Only a relationship with, with the Lord. And if statistics are true, then I know that there's guys in this room that struggle with this. Is God really who he said he is, and now I really saved? Just, Justin, you don't know what I've done or what I've said. Or maybe you don't know what I failed to do or failed to say. Let me give you a couple of scriptures on this. Two are, the first two are Romans 8. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoa! Pretty definitive, right? None. If you're in Christ Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. Scripture says as far as the east is from the west, they're gone. Okay? And then just to make sure that you fully comprehend that, jump down to the last couple of verses, uh, 38 and 39. He says, I am certain that neither death nor life, okay, nor angels or rulers, so things in heaven or, or things on earth, nor things present, nor things to come, that pretty much covers everything, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how certain it is. Okay? Nothing can separate you from God's love once you're there. And then threw in John 10, because I, I think you've heard John Mark preach on this before, and I love this analogy. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay? So you have this picture. Jesus says, I got them. No one can take them. And then just to make sure, because I know we're dudes and we're a little slow, he keeps going. And he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one has ever to snatch them out of my father's hand. And I and the father are one. It's almost like this double security, right? That's not scriptural. That's just me interpreting how I understand the Bible. He just gives us this great word picture that says, listen, you did nothing to earn your salvation. You cannot do anything to lose it. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And then, don't forget about the role of the Holy Spirit. So, jumping into Ephesians 1, it says, In Him, so in the Lord, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed. Okay, there you go. You're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, sealed guarantee, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Okay? That's how you can be certain. That God is who He says He is and that you are saved. So, quick summary. If you're a child of the living God, you're equipped and tasked for what He's called you to do. You have an eternal mission and there's no reason to fear what other people think. Right? If you're being obedient to the Lord, everything else takes care of itself. Okay? Second, knowing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and He's forgiven our past. He's promised us to be with us in the present. He's already secured our future. 
right? There's no reason to fear persecution or loss or loss or comfort, right? It's like Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss, right? This is compared, and I'll, let me just read it through. Because of the surpassing worth, so this is where he plants his flag, of knowing Christ Jesus is my Lord. It's for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. There it is. Plant your flag in what the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's our identity, that's our hope, that's our fulfillment, that's who we're called to be. If Jesus is your Savior and Lord, your salvation is secure. And like Paul, you can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay? So now when we started this, I said, I want you to think about the end of mind. So where are the areas in your life that you kind of feel a little conviction in? Lord, I know I haven't fully surrendered this to you. Maybe there are things that you're doing that you shouldn't. Maybe there are things you're supposed to be doing, but you aren't. Whatever that looks for, I'm not being faithful to the calling of God on, on my life. Right? And whatever the fear is that's holding me back, it's time to break through it. One of the things that John Marks, he had these five action items, and one of them was, was surround yourself with good and godly people to help you on this journey. That's what we were created for. And the beautiful thing about this study is that you've got a bunch of these guys here around your tables or online. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. The challenge that I'm going to finish with, I want you to talk at your tables. What fear is holding you back? In what area of your life? What does that look like in your life? We all have it. Right? And then part two is what, can, what practical steps can you start taking this week to fight through it and to fulfill the calling of Jesus on your life? All right? Ready to go. Thanks for tuning in to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.